0: This is The View from the Gladys Street, a podcast by the fans, for the fans. As we go on the terraces to discuss all the big talking points at Everton Football Club. Welcome to The View from the Gladys Street podcast. It's me, Ian Crawl, on hosting duties for what is probably going to be a painful 45 minutes of talking about Everton. It is The Fan Show and we are broadcasting from the Royal Blue podcast channel. This week I'm joined by two guests. First up we have The Retain of Mark Rotty last on the show, when things were a little bit more positive. How are things, Mark? You all good?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. You all right?
0: Still, yeah, not bad, mate. Are you still in Australia? Just bragging about the sun there that you've just had.
1: A little bit warm, yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, as I said, Mark is uh, joining us from Australia. As mentioned, if you listened to the show a couple of weeks ago, he has emigrated um, and he's brought a mate along, an Aussie mate, and making his first appearance on the show. We have Neil Hay. Neil is a top blue living in Oz. Welcome to the show, Neil. How are, you, how are things?
2: I'm good, mate. How are you? I just thought then, because I'm, I'm in Sydney
0: and Mark's Adelaide, so it's actually three time zones
2: that we're on right now.
0: <laughs> Fantastic stuff. That's uh, So what so? What time? It's currently, as we are recording now, it's quarter past seven in Liverpool. Um, what time is it where you are, Neil?
2: Yeah, so it must be quarter past six in the morning.
0: And the morning, yeah. Right, fantastic well there you go that's a, the modern, modern day technology in a, in full flow there um, so Neil obviously you, you know it's it's kind of a, an australian specialty. what as an Everton fan and stuff like that what what made you, you go down to australia and how long have you been out there
2: well i've, I've been here just over eight years now i um, suppose that was the hardest thing of moving away was you know missing the football not just Everton but the football in general because obviously the the times are difficult to watch the football but we um, come up with ways of doing it every week, um, so I started off in Perth, a big um, bit more of an Everton following in Perth or Scouts following in general because it's just smaller, um, everyone seems to know some Scouts are in Perth and then I moved to Sydney six years ago um, and it's a bit more bit more vast here, so I think, I think I know one blue and the rest of them are spread across the Premier League unfortunately, so my conversations are... Uh, slightly different maybe than what they are in Liverpool and just discussing it with Blues and Reds. Um, so yeah, probably know more about Tottenham than, than the avided Blue. i uh, got got a few of those as friends, but um, but yeah, it's uh, I make it work.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and you, you did mention before that you, you knew Mark um, before you moved down to Australia, so obviously you do kind of know each other and kept in touch to the love of Everton, I suppose.
2: Yeah, so there's always been a few links between me and Mark and then a um, couple of friends of ours told me that you moved over here at the beginning of the year, was it? And then luckily yeah. enough that the borders opened the other week. So I went to Adelaide, uh, that's where my wife's from anyway. So I've got links to where Mark lives and um, we had a good catch up. Yeah, so a few too many that day, wasn't it, Mark? And um, it? Yeah, but few, and it was sort of mid when we were the mid slump, if you like, of the last four weeks. So, uh, yeah, we put a few things there and put a few things to <laughs> across the table, didn't we, Mark? So um so yeah it's well, good it's to catch you up and um it's a- always good to, to you know rekindle old friends.
1: We had a good Everton moan. It was great.
0: That's so, obviously that's obviously when all the negativity probably started then was it when we were in that mid seat that mid slub there.
1: I think it was in <laughs> Southampton and Newcastle game so we just we just lost the first one. Uh, but obviously the warning signs were there. So yeah um that's when we met up.
0: Yeah right well hopefully more positive positive results over the, day the next couple of weeks and we can both get you to get you back on um back on the show but mark you you, you want to mention a, a a little plug for the the everton australian supporters club a, a special night that's that's planned for next week is that right do you want to uh, do you want to tell us and and the listeners what what to expect because it's a bit of a interactive online thing is, is, is that what you mentioned is that what you said yeah.
1: So they've organised, so the Everton Supporters Club Australia have have restarted again on Twitter. I think it went a bit idle or stale for a while. So they've they've relaunched the Twitter page and the Facebook page, and um, they're going to relaunch a a new logo um, on the same night, which is November the 15th. So I think in the UK it's in the morning, uh, and here it's going to be 7.30 Sydney time. I think so. Um, it's just an online question answer set with Basel uh, from Toffee TV. Um, there's raffle prizes to be won and the, the, and then they're going to relaunch the, the new logo for Everton Supporters Club Australia and then the hope is from there that it grows and there's sub-branches from that, so New South Wales where Neil is and South Australia where I am will obviously get more more followers and more fans and you know that's the hope is to 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 rebrand it and relaunch it so hopefully people if anyone's listening will tune in i think it's five dollars for the ticket i think you then get an online link with that and then you can you can zoom in and uh yeah i'm sure there's going to be plenty of fun that night so i know one of the main guys is called lee hayes um and yeah i think he's um he's one of the main ones trying to organize it so yeah said give it a little plug so there you go so, what date's that on mark? Was that the the fifteenth? 15th? Fifteenth 15th number, I Which I think's is well next Tuesday, next Monday. It's in a, it's in so a few it's
0: days, the, I think that mark. So it's it's that'll be the Sunday, in the uh, in the UK. So is that yeah. is that different in Australia?
1: Oh Sunday, yeah. It's it's the Sunday evening here then.
0: yeah. All right, it's fantastic. All right. Well, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, definitely, we have of looking into and uh, getting involved in. So yeah, absolutely. Sounds sounds really good. Uh, and good luck to the Everton uh, or Everton Australia supporters club and the Twitter account. I, I think I followed it this afternoon, and, and uh, hopefully a new logo and uh, some interaction um, from the behalf will definitely go down um, quite well. So yeah, it's lads, it's, it's it's good to have you both on the show. Um, as as mentioned in the in the previous podcast, we have gone international. It's always good to get new faces on the show as well. So Neil, um, just want to give you the floor first. Really, anyone who's new. On the podcast yeah. and making the debut, Just, I like to ask them what, what have they made of Everton's season so far? I know we're very early into it, but certainly had its ups and certainly a couple of downs, but what, what have you made of it so far? Well, I suppose it's
2: the tale of um, two periods, really, isn't it? It's not really been... It's been a mixed bag, but it's literally been the ultimate high and what feels now like the ultimate low. Um, I thought the signings were good. Um, thought we had a great summer window, and there was maybe a couple of things which weren't ideal towards the end of the window, and maybe a backup striker and, and the right back situation, which has been ongoing now for a few years. But and I suppose that's now maybe showing itself. But I was obviously on the the, the crest of the wave, um, leading up to the Liverpool game, and then the international break. Is, for one reason or another, we've just come back. I don't think we were poor, well, we were poor against Liverpool, but I think it was the following three games where we've really begun to, uh, to drop off substantially. There's a few concerns there for me right now, which weren't there at the beginning of the season. Um, maybe including the new signings, which I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, but it's literally just been yeah, the, the ultimate high and what feels like the ultimate low now.
0: Yeah, that certainly has definitely been disappointing since probably since following the Liverpool game, really, has it? But yeah. you know, Mark, no winning four, lost the last three, nine goals conceded in the last four games. Key players out, injured or suspended, and from first to seventh in less than a month, it's a. Uh, I, I want to cry just after, just after that sentence, but it's it's been quite painful, hasn't it, to watch? Yeah, I, I think
1: there's been a a massive. Um, fallout from the derby from for us hasn't it um, hopefully it's just short term and we can get back on track but the fallout from the derby was obviously injuries suspensions the, the huge hysteria from the media which I can't believe has, has helped us um, but then you know apart from them excuses sort of, sort of thing we I, I still think that we could have done much better um, over the last three games and I think I think we've got it wrong. Three games on the trot. Um, one with the team selection, but two with the way we've with, with the way we've set up and with the way we've played. Um, we all know the squad. The, the squad depth isn't as big quality wise as the first eleven. If you lose a Charleston, and he is sort of irreplaceable. If you lose a fully fit Hammers, it's irreplaceable. If you lose Coleman, he's irreplaceable. Dina and so so I get that. But then at the same time. Um I just feel that we've missed the trick last two or three games and I think that even with with the players out we we've definitely dropped points that we didn't need to. Um so I'm probably looking at the manager a little bit there. He was we were full of praise for them after the first seven games. Deservedly so, deserved credit, but he's also got to take a little bit of this responsibility for for what's happened last three or four games, because um, I just feel that, as I say, and we'll go into it a bit more a bit tactically and whatever. But I just feel that, you know, th- things have, have not been right for the last three games now.
0: Well, where are you then, Mark, with Angelotti at this moment in time? Is is there a slight cause for concern about some of his decisions, or is he just basically working with with what he's got and he's going to need? You know, two or three transfer windows to sort out the, the obviously gl- glaring issues in some of the players that we've still got at the club. Yeah.
1: So so there's the the two sides of that story then isn't the first one is yeah he, he still needs a couple more windows. Um I still I agree with Neil right back long term is an issue because as as much as Seamus tries his heart when he's playing and he, he has been better this season, um there's no cover. John Joe Kenny's not the answer. And He's 31, 32 now. So we that, that's got to be a pressing issue. Um, the glaring omission from this squad at the moment is a right midfielder. And I said that before Walcott went. I thought we still needed one with Walcott. Then we've let him go. And rightly so, because he just wasn't fitting it for us. But we, we, we there's a massive hole on that side. There's no one that can fit in. Um, Again, like Neil said, the backup to Calvert-Lewin is, 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 is Cenk Hosen, who we've tried to get rid of four times. Um, so, he, he's not the answer. So, yeah, I get that. There's definitely gaps within the squad. Um, but my biggest issue at the moment is this 4-3-3 formation because um, James hasn't been fit for the last four games. He's either been playing, not fit, or not playing. Um, and we're leaving the right-back fully exposed. Um, and, that, and teams have worked us out. Anyone with a, a decent left back, or even a de- decent if, if 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 they've got a decent wide attacker as well, the left two-on-one versus our right back time and time and time again. So Corey and Alan have to shift over, and and the, the subplot to that is the third midfielder, whether it's been Gomez or Sigurdsson, are a waste of space. So you're basically playing with nine men, because you've got Alan and Decore trying to do the defensive midfield work of four people. So it's affecting their game as well. I don't people talking about Alan and Decore. haven't been playing as well, but they're trying to put fires out everywhere and they haven't got they haven't got the ground to make up. It's just too big. So you've got Sigurdson doing nothing, who's leaving runners. I mean, I remember him leaving more Prouse for the first goal at Southampton. For me, he left Fernandez for the first goal and and it's time and time again with him. But then obviously with Hammers playing where he was, it was just leaving Coleman to him on one time again. So they're just getting midfield runners coming from everywhere and we can't cope with it. My, my worry is that was there against Southampton and it's been allowed to happen the last two games as well. And that's where I'm worried about Ancelotti. It's not something that's new. And even when we were winning, in at the start of the season, we were conceding twos. We were having goals against us coming from midfield and it hmm. seems we're on that right. So the warning signs have been there for a while defensively and it's just... the. St- slow reaction of Ancelotti to fix that problem that's just worrying me at the moment. Now, fingers crossed, we go into the new uh, set of fixtures after the break against Fulham and and that that gets shows up and he looks at that. But I just think he's been really slow to react to fix that problem that's just so blatantly there.
0: I mean, Neil, after all those valid points that that Mark has just uh, said there, do, do we as fans then, do we need to quickly reassess our expectations for the remainder of the season? Because Angelosi's not going to be able to do anything until January and obviously in the transfer market, questionable whether he'll do anything anyway. But it's looking like you know Rodriguez is only our right midfielder for, for, for the remainder of the season. So it's like a domino effect, as Mark said. It's causing issues on the right midfield and it's causing issues in defence and players are just all over the place.
2: Well, I think it depends what he does next game. If he if he goes back to four three three and Richardson makes that much of a difference, I think he might stick with it. But then again, we're playing Fulham, so you'd expect us to win. But I've got slight concerns about Ancelotti too, as Mark said. And Mark's already touched on them. But I'm not going to jump on his back, and I'm not suggesting for one second that he should be under the spotlight. But I would think that after. Is it 11 months now in charge that we would be more of a solid unit defensively, with a manager of his pedigree, and that's not just the trophies he's won, but even you know the stereotype Italian in you know, him. I would expect us to be better set up at the back. Now, we, there wasn't really any clamour for us in the summer that we were weak defensively. I think there was a few calls for maybe a centre half, but I think that was more as as a backup, or you know just to get in the mix with what would have been Branthwaite, Mina, Keene and Hallgate all of a sudden, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, I'm unsure whether two or three of them are good enough. I mean, Keane's been decent. I'm not going to get on his back, but he bore watches a lot. We concede a lot of goals from crosses. Mark's right as well with the right back situation. I mean, Seamus started really, really good. And, you know, I was surprised at how well he started because I thought we needed it. You know, a starting right back, not just a right back, but a starting right back. But he's come in and maybe, you know, put that fire out, so to speak. But is he going to play well for 38 games of the season? Of course, he's not. John Joe Kenny isn't good enough. So now it's looking looking really bad that we didn't get a right back. And it's just the organisation of the defence. I mean, as a manager, he's got more or less four internationals playing every week in the back line. I would expect at five, if you include the keeper, or the two keepers now, I would expect us to be more solid at the
0: back. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, the goals we conceded, you, you, in the first you know, couple of games, you, you didn't really think about the goals we conceded because we were, we were scoring goals for fun and we were obviously picking up points as well as obviously progressing in the cup competition. So, you know, it's only, it's only been highlighted because we've, we've lost games and it's, it's made us look... Certainly weak on certainly on that right hand side, even when Rod Rodriguez has been playing, because we we, we all know that he's not he's not a defensive yeah. minded player. He he doesn't track back. But I think, you know, you're not happy for that, but you'll accept it because of what he was able to do in the first couple of games and the the chances and the goals he was able to to score and create. And I, and I agree.
2: Like, there's no bigger fan of Hamas than me. He's exactly why I go and watch football, but. It's all well and good giving him a, a free role where he doesn't have to track back if the output's exceeding what's going in the other end. And if oh. we're defensively poor, and as Mark touched on before, Sigurdsson or Gomez, whoever plays in that role, is useless defensively. They just get waltzed past. And Hammes isn't even there to go past. So we are down to nine men. And if he's not producing, which for every, you know, whatever reason it is, he, he certainly hasn't the last couple of games, then it's highlighted and it's just a, a problem that Ancelotti needs to fix. The, the obvious one is to put him in the middle and then put someone on the right who's going to protect oh. Coleman. The only candidate for that now is Iwobi. And, yeah. you know, we've all got our opinions on Iwobi. But I just don't think that Ancelotti should have spotted that. I mean, teams have worked us out and it's we we know he's not going to get back. And at what point, as good as he is and as, as much as we love him and, you know, as great as he is in the final third, at what point are we going to say, well, you know what, you have to get back, you know, like you have to at least at least run around. And and a slightly I don't want to be controversial here with Hammers, with but if he hasn't been that fit, and I think he did declare himself fit before the game at the weekend, and Ancelotti made a comment in the press conference that maybe he wasn't. And even if he is 80-90% fit, I mean he was dreadful the weekend. And I would expect a player whose game isn't based on Energy and running and getting up and down and maybe skinning players to to maybe put in a better performance than that or maybe it's just a mental thing if he's not a hundred percent at it that you know his way to pass goes and he doesn't get involved as much but it was a bit it was a bit concerning
0: for me. I mean, I I I was happy with the team to be honest. Eddie, I, was, uh, I I felt good not not included side because I was a bit gutted for him. I felt I felt content. So I felt like there was a lot more balance compared to, certainly, the Newcastle game because we all we all know the issues with that team that Ange, Angelotti selected. So what, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that team, Mark? Were you, were you positive? Did you think, you know, this is, you know, Bernard on the left, uh, Rodriguez on the right, obviously me, the, the centre midfield three in um, Sigurdsson, um, Decore and Allen. I felt like it it seems, you know, quite decent, a, a lot more balance than Dominic ahead spear, and spearheading. So, you know, we started off well, um, and scored scored the goal, and then it just you know th- that's where the defensive issues again
1: hit us with that uh, with that goal from Fernandez. Um, no, and any time any side that has Guilty Siggs in the lineup, I can't be happy with me. <laughs> you know my feelings. <laughs> It's absolutely useless it's just he, he 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 can't run that's that's the but you can't play a midfielder in in that role who can't run he just chases shadows um and then you expect some quality on the ball when he gets the ball and he just it, it is his passing is his array his set pieces. I don't know why he's on set pieces when Hammers and Dina were on the pitch anyway, but he he hits the first man time and time again. I read a stat the other day that he's never scored a free kick for us. I mean, that's why he came, wasn't it? He? he was a free kick specialist and stuff. But so he he's, honestly he is a waste of time because we are just starting with ten men. When you then throw a half for Hammers and you can't run, we are starting with nine men, and that's the that's the problem. We can't have that's, and, and if you think about United, United were under pressure and got a lot of stick, but they've not lost at a domestic away game since Anfield in January. They've got a really, really good away side. Um, I think it was before that Istanbul game, they, they'd lost, they, they were 18 or 19 away games unbeaten. Um, so they're a good side, and you can see why, because they've got pace, they've got Rashford, Martial, Fernandez is breaking, they've got other players like Luke Shaw and down the line. And... Um, they just they just picked us off. Where once 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 we scored? I mean, that, um,
0: that is, sorry to interrupt, but that that is their strength. You you just named a yep. couple of attributes in their team. They are Salah has set them up as a counter-attacking team, so it's no wonder, yep. regardless of whether there's fans in the stadium or not, you know, home or away, that they yep. are better as a as an away attacking unit.
1: Hundred percent, and so that uh, and uh, you know the, the what that's what I'm saying. The warning signs were there. We knew that they would attack that right-hand side, and don't forget, Coleman's only just come back from injury as well. So we're left Luke Shaw and Rashford versus a half hit Coleman. Rashford was just allowed to drift wherever he wanted because no one knew where to pick him up. Luke Shaw was just bombing on base, basically playing as a left winger. Um, and so it was. that's what I'm saying about Decoray. Decoray's then getting dragged over to the right. Alan's getting dragged over. So then there's bigger gaps in the middle. So Fernandez is just running through a big empty gap into the middle of, of Keane and Holgate, who should have done better than seeing it and picked them up. But I don't think the protection's there at the moment. And that's my big issue is that. Um, and so I'll go back to what Neil said before, because we've talked about this uh, off this podcast, is that I would rather have an Iwobi or a Bernard on the right now To cover Coleman once Richarlison's back on the left and have two solid banks of four and have Hammers behind Calvert Lewin. Now, you've still got Richarlison able to bomb on down the left with Yet then you'd have Coleman linking up with the Wobio Bernard, but actually getting back to support him. And then there's no defensive duties for Hammers then, because let's face it, like Neil said before, he, 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 he doesn't really. But I'd rather have him in that pocket where he can drift wherever he wants and cause murder, because we know he can do it.
2: And if he plays there, it's like the whole team protects him rather than yeah. just Coleman and then drag and do Corey out, which just affects the whole balance of the team. But if you're going to give him that free roll, and he's far more effective. I mean, he's getting the ball on the touchline the weekend, yeah. and they know what he's going to do. He's going to come on his left foot, and it's brilliant when it comes off and he switches it so quickly. Obviously, helps if you've got Richarlison on the other side. But I feel like he's getting a bit wasted out there. Yeah. He could do more damage in the middle too. I think it would help him, and it would help, it would help the team.
1: You can just
0: sorry, go on, Mark.
1: I was just gonna say, yeah, he can pick up pockets anywhere, then can't he? He can drift over to the right, he can drift over to the left, You he can help build up play wherever he wants to go. And ultimately, let's get someone closer to Calvert Lewin, who's just been so isolated the last three games, yeah. So, for me, shape wise, um, for defensively, that. That is so much better than what's working at the moment because you've got cover for both full backs, and at least you've got two solid banks of four when defending. But going forward, that actually gives us more as well because you get something going from the right, something from the left, and Hammers in a far more potent area than because, like, like Neil's just said, when, when he was getting the ball into feet, Hammers, he was nearly on the halfway line, and Luke Shaw's literally pushing him back into our own half. I don't want him there, I want him in the final third, causing, uh, causing murder, creating chances. Um, so I, I do think there's a problem with shape at the moment, and that's ultimately what's costing us goals. Yes, Michael Keane could do better, um, and, and attack the ball better. Yes, I do think <laughs> you know, defense, def- defensive players should do a bit more, but ultimately, that the, you look at the amount of goals that are coming at us from midfield players or from midfield runs, mm. and it's not that's that's the problem at the moment. So, I just want Alan and Decore to get back to being a shield and um, not having to go left, right and getting dragged everywhere. I want them to be a, a solid compact unit. And then DeCore should be able to bomb on and help out going forward instead of having to cover the right-back all the time. So it, it's, it's, I'm just watching it go. It's just there in front of me. just going, what, what are we watching here? Because this is just the same three weeks on the drop now. Um, so that's... That, that, that's I suppose that need that needs to be seen. We can't dress it up as oh, you know, Ancelotti's won three European Cups. Who are we to challenge it? Well, no, that, I don't buy that at all. We we know our team, we know our players just as much as anyone, and we can see we can see where the gaps are. And I think you know, all three of us have basically just said the same thing. So so get back on it now and and start stop leaking them goals. Um, do something different.
2: And and another thing for for me there, sorry to jump in. I mean, we've been talking about the defense and and whatnot. But when we were getting the ball in midfield, there was just there was just no bravery. They were just playing it back to, to where it was coming from, and and that, that wasn't happening at the beginning of the season. When we played Tottenham and particularly against Palace, the midfielders were taking taking the ball in tight situations and turning and moving the ball quickly and fizzing it into feet. And that was just that, that was why we looked so so much more dangerous. And all of a sudden, we've just gone back to this slow tempo with the ball, and it's just easy to play against because all you got to do is go, just get with, within one meter of him when he gets the ball, and you're just going to play it back to wherever it's come from. I'm thinking of Sigurdsson here. I'm even putting Ducore in that bracket from, from the weekend. I thought he had a poor game, and it was just it was just very easy to play against.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, Neil, the, I, I think I asked Mark on this that the, the last podcast uh, on this question, so. I'll go away from the game itself for a moment, but just just basically from what we've all touched upon there and all kind of agreed on, we think Rodriguez is natural fit, is the centre of the centre of the park, or you know at least beyond the striker or strikers. Have we made a mistake in letting both Key and Walcott leave? Obviously, Walcott a naturally wide right footed player. Um, I'm not saying he was the answer by any means. I've criticised Walcott a lot myself. Keane, obviously not. You know, he can play on the the wing, but you would expect him to be, you know, a striker. But we've let two players go there who could play on that that right-hand side, and then that would then force Rodriguez into the middle of the park. Because I know we're talking about the Wolby going in there, but for me, I still don't think he's good enough whatsoever. Yeah, well, I think the mistake is not replacing them rather than letting
2: them go because yep. I don't think either of them have been good enough. Listen, Moise Keane's shown flashes, and he seems to be doing it a bit at PSG now, but there's a lot of variables to that, which which we won't get into. But um, but I don't know whether Moise Keane has to go. You don't quite know the circumstances behind that, but we are lacking in that depart- department. Now, it must have been a conversation where they've gone, we'll let them go, and Ancelotti's gone, well, you know, I'm going to end up with Seng Tosin as my backup forward, and We've got no one else to play right mid because, as Mark said, I, I thought we needed a right winger. Right winger's been on the cards for what, maybe two two summers now. Right mm-hmm. back, right winger, and we've just not produced. And then then that goes back to the recruitment. And then you go, you're looking at Marcel Brands or you know who knows about what what conversations are going on behind the scenes. But I don't think it was a mistake letting them go. I don't think any of them have necessarily been good enough for us. But I think the the mistake has been not replacing them. And we don't know the financial constraints, you know, but obviously, hopefully, that might reveal itself in January.
0: I mean, the, the replacement's actually really, a really good point because they've both gone out on loan, and effectively, Walcott's contract is up at the end of the season, if, if I'm not mistaken. So he's just going to leave on a free. We're not going to renew that. He's going to go. And um, I think I'm right in saying that. And, and obviously, Keane is, you know, he's, he's, he's banging them in for, for the PSG. But is he going to want to come back to the club now he, he's obviously had a bit of a, a tired time the, the only thing that you could suggest that's going to happen with him that's going to benefit the club is by his, his valuation going up if he keeps scoring goals because there's no way he's going to come back to want to play play for us That I can't see that I'd be very I surprised can't,
2: yeah, I can't see that either I don't think he was a I don't think he was happy. I think that that move suited everyone. I think at the time, he we were actually worried whether he, he was even going to get game time and what was the point in the loan from an Everton perspective is to, if there was plans to bring him back. But to be fair, that doesn't seem to have been the case. I'm, I'm not following PSG every week, but he's certainly involved in the goals and whatnot. He's getting game time. So, yeah, it, it's a funny one, Mois Keane, but maybe it is a case of, as you say, just getting his valuation up and then reinvesting that money into someone a bit more suitable and maybe a bit further down the career path. We need, oh. someone, we need someone ready to go. You can go in the team and produce, like Ducore Allen and James has. Um That's what we need, ready-made players to go into the first 11. Godfrey is another one we've bought. Hopefully, we'll see more of him this season. I think it'll, it'll be sooner rather than later with Godfrey. I honestly do. Um wouldn't Hopefully
1: surprise not a me. Right too,
2: back. No, not, not a right-back, <laughs> no. But um, I think he'll be in a in a team sooner rather than later.
0: All right, Well, uh, back to the game then, Mark. And just uh, in terms of Pickford was back in, wasn't he? And um, obviously, despite a solid performance from from Olsen against Newcastle, we we all knew it, it was he it was going to be back in because Angelotti said said so before the Newcastle game. Um so, was it the right decision for you? Probably didn't really have a a bearing or impact on the game. The fact that Pickford was was in there, so, you know, Angelotti still thinks that he's, he's number one. The View from the Gladys Street podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The View from the Gladys Street
2: podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, it sounds like an actual Angelotti witch one today, and it's not, but I just don't agree with some of the decisions he's made lately, and I think the way he hand firstly, that first week after the derby, um, it was just a deathly silence from the club about Pickford's right up till the next press conference just before Southampton. Um, I thought we could have protected them a little bit better. Um, secondly, when you bring Olsen in um, against Newcastle and before he's even started the game, you're saying this is the only game you're playing because Pickford's back in next week. I mean, how does that make him feel? Um, especially when he's come in and done really well he actually looked the most assured of an Everton goalkeeper that I've seen for years, he was big solid, big frame um, and I thought yeah, that's that's what I want to see, um, so I don't agree with how he's handled it um, just,
0: just, sorry to interrupt you but I'll throw another question in there I agree with you, after the derby I was frustrated at how, you know, the silence from the club, um, with regards to the, you know, the witch hunt for Pickford, but how, how would you have wanted Angelotti or you know Officials from the club to to have handled that. Would you want them to come out in the media and said something? Yeah. Because you know, as much as the you know, the Liverpool mouthpiece was obviously uh, they got the ball rolling and stuff like that. Um, it was a lot of people probably in the media doing the mm-hmm. witch hunts on Pickford rather than you know Liverpool. Players themselves. I know that that did come. Don't get me wrong. That did come eventually. You know, day thirteen, day fourteen, of all that. But Angel Angelotti didn't do a press conference until the Friday before the Southampton game, and that was yeah. when he was first asked about it, wasn't it? So yeah. that's when he backed them up. Mm. Would, would you have rather the the club come out and said something? Yeah, because
1: yeah. by the I mean by the Tuesday it was it was it was all that anyone was talking about, wasn't it? And you know, you yeah, had Pund- ex Liverpool players, ex saying it was a disgrace and shouldn't play again. And then I think it culminated in Van Alden's press conference for Holland on the Wednesday. And that's when we could have, should have come out and gone, hang on a minute. This is a joke now. Our goalkeeper's made a mistake. But we're sorry for Van Dyke's injury, but leave him alone now. This is this beyond a joke. He hasn't killed anyone. Um, so we just let it drag on. And yeah, I just think that affected them to the point where we had to, he left, he had to leave him out against Newcastle just to give his head a rest. Um, but then I thought it dressed up over his performances anyway, then didn't it? So everyone was talking about that incident when actually we should have been talking about his poor form and his poor form merited him being dropped. Um, not one game against Newcastle and oh and by the way you're back in again next week. Now there was that input incident in the second half and maybe Maguire did push him and whatever, but it's just the panic he causes at the moment. And I've been a Pickford fan. I've backed him for ages where people have been have had enough of him. Um but I just think he adds to the uncertainty defensively at the moment. Not only have you got people running through from midfield and whatever. Do you honestly think they confidence confident in their goalkeeper behind them at the moment? I'm not too sure. Um, so, yeah, I would say that Olsen haven't come in. Um, I'm probably old school where if you come in and do well, you keep your place. Um, and Olsen probably feels hard done by there.
2: I thought he played well, I thought he was one of our best players that day, he just looked assured yeah. but whether that was a case of us not seeing a keeper, look, I don't know the, the stature in the box even and he seemed to have a presence about him maybe, you know, we, we do we do go overboard when we see the opposite to what's been
0: happening maybe um, yeah. but yeah, and I'm with you Mark I'd have kept him in yeah. I mean, I, I got a text message off a mate um, Jordan, the Newcastle game I don't know if you, you remember it, where the ball just came in for the cross or a long ball, can't remember what it was. And Olsen just came out commandingly and caught it. I got a text yeah. message straight away saying, "My God, we've got yeah. a keeper who can catch a ball." <laughs> I mean, it was quite like funny at the time, but I just think yeah. think back and go, you know, you shouldn't be shouldn't be saying those sort of things yeah. about your keeper. And they, like I I don't want to like go on a pick for uh, too much because hopefully he, he will be able to turn his form around. But you Neil, know, do you think? In, it, I said at the time after the Liverpool game that this this is going to make or break Pick for this. You know, we all we all thought he was a little bit mentally weak, maybe a little bit immature. Um mm-hmm. some of the things that he's done, and some of the things that we you know we've witnessed them do. So you know the backlash that he got from the Van Dyke challenge, and that's all it was. It was just a badly timed challenge. It wasn't anything yeah, else. And he's 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 had to face these issues in the media. You would have thought as a professional that 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 would make you, make you mentally stronger or you would, would have hoped it would have made you mentally stronger and it's it's probably had the the adverse effect because he's, he has been dropped from the team and as Mark said there, Angelos, he probably just wanted to take him out of the firing line.
2: Yeah, and I think it all comes down to his character. We make assumptions on his character based on what we see and I think Mark's touched on it previously about maybe he's not the most intellectual of guys. He he seems to make a few bad decisions in in other areas of his life too. Um, But what we're interested in at the end of the day is how he performs for 90 minutes. And yeah, okay, I feel sorry for him with some of the backlash he got for the the Van Dyke challenge, you know, the, the bodyguards and the death threats and whatnot. But ultimately, all we care about is what he does for those 90 minutes. And for me, that's what he should be judged on. And regardless of what happens now, it's not like it's going to be any different to what was happening before. If he comes out and makes a mistake against Fulham and costs us a goal, we can't point to the the media witch hunt from the, the Van Dijk challenge. because it's been happening for the last two two seasons. He had one good season, and since then it's it's been it's been a, a really you know it's it's not even a slump, is it? It's it's now consistently bad. Yeah. So it, it's a concern, you know. But as I said, as Mark said, he, he made a mistake the weekend with a It was a typical. Picked with mistake, it was rash, it was it came from nowhere. They always just seemed to come from nowhere. They didn't even think he had to go for that ball. Yeah, it
0: looked it like it was going out for a goal kick, to be honest.
2: Yeah, and, and it's just it's like it's the old phrase that he has to get involved, but it, that's what it is. It feels like he has to get involved in some way, shape, or form, and, and it's to our detriment, unfortunately. And I mean, who knows what Ancelotti's thinking. And um, personally I think that they may be going is this Donna Rummer, is it? Is that how, how you pronounce it? He's out of contact next next season. Maybe they've held off on getting a first team keeper this summer in order to maybe wait for him to be free next summer. But but the you know, the length they go to to sign a new player these days, Roman Olsen's come in. Surely he's got to get more game time. And and it wouldn't surprise me if he played more than Pickford between now and the end of the season.
0: Right. Well, quick and easy question well not an easy question but just a, a simple question for you now Mark why can't Anthony Gordon get in the team
1: oh it's a good question mate Um and do you know what it's funny since Richarlison's been out there's no direct replacement for him but the one out of be Bernard and Gordon who's got the closest attributes to him is Anthony Gordon because he's the quickest he's direct and he'll run at the and he'll run at the full back Um He's got legs, that uh, which is what we've been missing the last three weeks, hasn't he? Um, I've, I've no idea, mate, honestly. I've, I'm not saying he's Pele, I'm not saying he's, you know, he, he should be definitely getting 90 minutes every week, but what I'm saying is everyone else has been given a chance. So why not him as well? Um, At least, at least he should have been involved in one of those three games. And I thought against Southampton when he came on, he'd done all right as well. He was, you know, in a poor performance, he came on and done all right, and then he bombed again. So, don't understand it, I've no idea He Ancelotti's the one who's making these decisions and seeing him in training but then again he's seeing Sigurdsson in training and playing him so um, I don't know Ian is the honest question that and I think that the lad probably feels hard done by because he probably does deserve a start 2 doesn't he considering everyone else is getting one so you tell me
0: I mean, you were right there, the Southampton game, I mean, Neil, did, did, did you watch that one? He, he came on and he had a like yeah, <laughs> cameo, I thought, and nearly, nearly got, got an assist. Yeah, he's a, he's a positive
2: player. I mean, I touched on before before, the lack of bravery on the ball, and he's someone who gets the ball and tries to make things happen. He tries to penetrate, and that's what we need. We, I, I, don't think I, I don't think he's it's a Pele through not playing. It's, it's the old cliche, our players become better when they're not playing. But it's because we've been playing so poorly. And with Richarlison missing, so we've only played. Is it what? Well, is that the only? It's twenty minutes. Is it across the three games? Um, That's just not enough. And and you look at our bench the weekend, and there wasn't much was to to bring on. And the, how he's not got on that bench the weekend mm. is beyond me. There's definitely more to it. Maybe it's the incident where he's knocked on his door. But Ancelotti mentioned that and he's too long in a tooth to be bothered by someone knocking at his door, surely, you know, a 20-year-old lad asking him why he's not playing. That should just be part of the job. I think there's more to it behind the scenes, whether it comes out over the next couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd, be, I'd, have, I'd have started him. And just just while, just while we're on that, I thought Bernard played okay. – I'm not Bernard's biggest fan, but I thought he had a decent first half on – on Saturday, and he was the only one actually trying to get the ball and do something with it, nearly created the other goal with, with Luca Dean.
0: I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Bernard did okay. I wouldn't say he had an amazing game, but he scored a, a decent goal from a, a knockdown from Dominic Carple, who I thought did tremendously well, considering yeah. he was up there by himself by the way. But yeah. I, I, th- the biggest issue for me wasn't that Anthony Gordon didn't start the game. It was, it was the fact that he wasn't on the bench, because then if you look at the substitutions, specifically the the third one where he brought Cheng Tosin on for uh, James. Now I know he, he got asked to be taken off because he was he was probably shattered, but he's basically brought a winger off for a striker. So who's going to provide, you know, the crosses and the balls for Cheng Tosin to to score these goals? So it only emphasised bringing Tosin on. Only emphasised the fact that it was such a terrible decision not to include Anthony Gordon in that squad and he's in by no means the same um, calibre as Richarlison but it's like Mark said I've got to agree he's the closest thing we've got in terms of profile of a player because I know he played for the under-23s on the Sunday and obviously completely different calibre of uh, opposition but he um, he ran down the left wing and crossed the ball in and, and we scored the goal it's kind of you know what we've been missing and what we've been crying out for and it's, it's, it's difficult when you see stuff like that uh, we're, we're crying out for it on, on you know big mass days we? and we're just not yeah. we're just not getting it. Well, well,
2: you have asked me before about whether it was a mistake letting Moyes Keen and and Walcott go, but if you if you'd have told me at the time, then Anthony Gordon was going to be frozen out completely. Then it's even more bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's just leaving us with with no wingers at the time. Maybe we thought, well, maybe he's going to play Gordon a lot because he was giving him quite a bit of game time after after lockdown, which suggested. That he was going to play a lot more this season. And then to just be not, as I just said Ian, to just be not on the bench and not even have that option
1: is criminal. The squad's still unbalanced, isn't it? If you think about Richardson being out, and you've got three potential wide left players, and it will be Bernard and Gordon. Um, and it's fair to say Ancelotti probably doesn't trust any of them. Um, and then we've got absolutely no one on the right that can come in. Um, so that's obviously going to be a key area next year to address to to let Bernard go possibly let Iwobi go um, and get someone in on the right and start making that squad more balanced but um, just going back to before Ian about that then and Iwobi and Gorgord I still feel though that the team is better off if one of them starts on the right and at least offers some cover to Coleman than actually playing Hammers from the right who's not fit and having Gilfey or Gomez on the sides I still think that's the it's still a better option than actually playing that way um, because at least it just offers two banks of four which I just think that's getting back to basics at the moment is what's is what's needed to stop that supply line so I think one of them should play on the right and yeah, there's, there's an argument for a Woby or Bernard or Gordon but one of them three should play on the right in front of Coleman for now until we maybe get to January and get somebody in
2: but what if he played Iwobi as part of the, the midfield three?
1: Could do. I, I, actually probably, I actually probably would have done
2: that um, against Man United. I, I don't rate Iwobi, but I think if he's in a midfield three, his biggest negative is that he gives the ball away all the time. But I think if he's in that, in that three, he's got more options on the ball rather than when he gets it on the left wing and he's got basically Calvert-Lewin in front of him if he wants to go forward. I just think in a three, he'd be less likely to give the ball away. <laughs> I think but the
1: he's a, a bet- lot better option than Gomez and Sigurdsson at the moment. But then again, Neil, you're a better option than Gomez and Sigurdsson.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about but, that.
0: Well, if we're dishing out options and um, formations, is the scope for a a three-five-two in terms of now that we, are if we get you know centre backs and centre halves back, fit yeah. um, is the scope for that. Obviously, we know. Luka Dean and, and Seamus Coleman yeah. come play that wing back, and then that would for kind of forcefully put uh, Rodriguez into the middle of the park anyway, and we have kind of solved the the right the right hand side issue then.
1: It is, and it's sort I've thought obviously I'd, st- I'd still think the four four one one would would help us now, but having said that, like you've just said, if you play three at the back, you could play Holgate one side and Godfrey the other, and then have one of Keen or Meena in the middle, Coleman and Dean, you can be. Your wing backs then, and then they'd have cover with Holgate and Godfrey either side. So I get that, and it just allows Alan and DeCorey to sit. Then you could get back to last season and have Calvert Lewin and Richarlison up front with hammers behind. Now that offers more balance, that offers more protection. Um, and that's what I'm saying, Ian. There's, there's better options at the moment than this 4 3 3. And I'm not just saying that because mm-hmm. we've lost the last three games. We conceded two against West Brom, we conceded two against Brighton, we conceded two against Fleetwood. We were conceding all these goals when we were winning. The warning signs there. Yeah. This is something fundamentally that's wrong with the defensive shape of the side and we can't continue like that. So for me it's either that four, four, one, one, or yeah, we can play three at the back, get the pace into the sides and actually play a little bit of a higher line, um, because we've got the recovery pace then. Um so there are options there and I just expect someone of Ancelotti's calibre to be able to identify that and, and get back to it. Um like you've said, Neil, um he's nearly a year in now and we're conceiving goals for fun. I'd I'd have expected a, a far better shape from a from an Italian manager, especially. Mm.
0: Well, lads, we've been talking for 45 minutes, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer, <clears> but so very quickly, um Neil, I have seen some people on Twitter suggest Everton have already overachieved so far this season. Um obviously, you know, we were top of the league and had a, a nice unbeaten run. In the early stage of the season, and now we've gone four without a win. Would you agree with that? Have we overachieved in terms of, you know, where where we've got to, and now we've gone into a little bit of a slump?
2: Well, it can be taken out of context. That I think if we'd won one, lost one, won one, lost one, won one, lost one, we we might be. Everyone would probably think that's where we should be. But because you know we we were top at the top of the league for a while, I think maybe people are still thinking. You know, they're going to drop down, which is ultimately what's happened. (laughs) I still think, listen, they've gone into this season looking for a a, a European spot, without a shadow of a doubt. You can't have Ancelotti in charge, paying him 200 grand a week and signing those players. We've had the wage bills gone up with those players. Um, Excuse me. But I still think that the European spot's the main target. Top six. But I... I, uh, if you put a gun against my head now and ask me whether we were going to get it it all comes down to January signings.
0: yeah I mean to be honest Mark I didn't necessarily agree with the overachievements. I don't think it's right at all because if you look at the games individually you could probably say the only game we've overachieved on is the Spurs game because we just we don't, we don't beat Spurs away or we very rarely really do every other game that we've we've managed to get a win and a result in yeah, you know, you've you've probably expected to you know it's beat the teams that you should be beating. You know, we even Liverpool at, at home. We we you know we we very rarely lose to Liverpool at home. You know, we we draw a lot. and know we don't win. Um, yeah. So the draw was probably just I'll you know, yeah, it was a draw. We we expected it to be a draw. Even the Southampton Newcastle game, really, we probably underachieved there, but, but that was that we should we should have definitely beat those teams. So the yeah. fact that. You know, just because we ended up top after that, I definitely don't think we've overachieved.
1: No, I don't think you can overachieve in four games. Anyone can win four games on the track, can not they? But I said I'd put a positive slant on it for you today, mate. So it is, is a few positives today. To, uh, put a smile on your face. Go on, so, hit me with it, because I, I need it. I need it. So the <laughs> first one is: if someone said at the start of the season, going into the November break, you'd be above Man United, Man City, and Arsenal, and Wolves you'd have probably laughed at them, so that's where we are, the league's very tight, but there's 8 points between 1st and 15th, so there's a lot of teams all doing similar things at the moment, good wins, weird defeats. good wins again, weird defeats. it's just a mad league, very competitive league, which is what I think we've all craved for years in it, rather than just having a runaway 1 or 2, we've got at the moment, a lot of teams who are really, really competitive, so I enjoyed that, after the break yeah, hopefully we've got a fully fit squad and you know I'm really interested to see how Gabaman gets on. Um putting no pressure on the lad. I think you know I just hope he gets a good luck uh, run of f- injury free form now and we can see what he can add to the side. Um so I think there's still positives. I still think that look, we, we've not lost a lot of ground, we're still only five points off the top, and no one's aiming for first, let's be honest. But we if we can hover around there the three games after the break are Fulham, Leeds and Burnley. Um, what a great chance to try and put three wins back to back together again and, and, and get back get back up there. Um so there's still positives and ultimately despite my little go at Ancelotti today, he's still the best man to bring in quality players, isn't he? And I think long term yeah he's the one who's going to attract the better players. And if he gets the better players, then they're just they're just going to naturally fit into a system for him anyway. My only gripe is, like, like I say, I just think he could have done a little bit better with what we have got at the moment. But long term, he's the man that you want attracting these players. And we're linked with Milik from Napoli. I'd gladly have him. Left-footed option up front, tall, can definitely uh cover Calvert Lewin and, and compliment him as well. Um then you've got the links with Isco. I can see that because we need a bit of creativity in the park. Not necessarily starting every week but an option that's better than Gomez and Sigurdsson. Um and so you can see the long term plan with him in place. So if you want some positivity mate, there it is. It's not full on we've lost three games but we've got to regroup and go again. Uh and hopefully like you say after the break we've got a full squad to to get going again and um that, that game of Fulham is massive now isn't it for, for how we set up for the rest of the season
0: Absolutely I mean we won't go into to Fulham Mark but I'm not going to put a negative spin on what Mark's just uh, <laughs> said there but it would just be typical Everton to lose against Fulham because they've, they've had a, they haven't had a great start of the season like themselves have they really?
2: No they haven't won a game yeah
0: have they Fulham? <laughs> <laughs> so it's be typical Everton to, to give them three points basically then wouldn't it?
2: Uh, don't get me back on in after that game if that's the case.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think,
0: all right. I think, <laughs> no worries. worries. <laughs> Fantastic, all right, lads. Well, um, thank you for coming on the show. It's uh, definitely cheered me up. It's uh, you know, after every game that we, we lose, I always think oh, I literally can't be bothered doing these. And then after every after every chat with the Blues, you just it does it definitely does perk you up. Um, it's a bit of therapy. Oh, it, it, it definitely is. It without a doubt, it, it definitely is, and it, it definitely helps. And um. Yeah, we'll, def- we'll definitely get you back on the show again, lads, without, without a doubt. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ian. Thanks
1: for Brilliant. having me
0: on. Yeah, no worries. So that's it for this week's View from the Gladys Street show. Many thanks for coming on. Um, many thanks for listening. Mark, thank you. Neil, thank you. You've been listening to the View from the Gladys Street podcast on the Royal Blue Channel. You've been listening to the View from the Gladys Street podcast from the Liverpool Echo.